As a positive existentialist, I choose to live. And by that I don't mean to just survive or exist. I mean to really live. Eyes wide open. Make the most out of your time here. To experience the whole spectrum of what life has to offer. Sure, we all want love, success, and to have a good time. But I think you haven't really lived until you've faced some of the scary shit too. The uncertainty, failure, the heartaches and pains. Because you know that's life. That's the stuff you tell your grandkids about. It's what inspires best-selling books, TED Talks, and multi-million dollar companies. So I said go for it. All of it. Stop trying to be so comfortable all the time. Because after all, you can't succeed if you don't take risks. And you can't fall in love unless you make yourself feel vulnerable. And any story in which everybody's happy and nobody's struggling, it's really boring. I'm not here to sugarcoat it. Life is full of paradox, challenges and difficult decisions. And no matter how careful you are, or how healthy you live, truth is, it could be over any time. And ultimately, you're responsible for what you do and what you don't do. And that's a scary thought. But it's also exactly the reason why being alive is so special and so exciting. So let's embrace it for what it is. A wonderfully exciting, scary, beautiful trip. At an existential level, we all face the same challenges. And I'm here to help. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Now, I really like having big thinkers here to talk about their experiences, their learnings, and their perspective. I met Yannick Jacob recently and was fascinated by his outlook on the meaning of life and how he brings a sharp clarity to the complexity of how our minds work. I know you'll enjoy hearing from him too. Yannick is a coach, trainer, and supervisor with master's degrees in existential coaching and applied positive psychology. He's part of the teaching faculties at Cambridge University and the International Centre for Coaching Supervision, and he's the course director of the School of Positive Transformations Certificate in Integrative Coaching. He's an in-demand speaker and author of the book, An Introduction to Existential Coaching. And if that wasn't enough to keep one person busy, he's also founded Yannick's Coaching Lab and hosts three podcasts, Coaching Uncaged, Talking About Coaching, and Talking About Coaching and Psychedelics. Now, what I'm really particularly interested in getting Yannick's take on is the really big questions that help you find connection, meaning, and purpose. If you listen for a while, then you'll know about my passion for fostering ownership and intentionality in the people I work with. Yannick said this, The thing is that those who make the most out of their time on this planet, the ones we look up to as having really lived, they allow themselves to experience the whole spectrum of what life has to offer, good and bad, pleasant and uncomfortable, success and failure, happiness and anxiety. To not merely endure life, 
but to enjoy it in all its facets. That's what I call a life well lived, and it's a choice away. Wow, I can't wait to hear more. Yannick Jacob, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Gary, what a wonderful introduction. Thank you so much. I already feel very honored. Well, I'm delighted that you accepted the invitation to come on. Now, here's a big opening question. You describe yourself as a positive existentialist. Tell the listeners a bit more about you and the work you do and help us to understand what one of those is. Yeah. Uh, gathering that sharp complexity that you <laughs> so kindly described me as. Well, I'm just coming out of a weekend of, uh, you know, celebrating time and temporality. I turned 40 last week. Um, so let's see how much sharp complexity I can muster for this. Um, <laughs> positive existentialism. Well, I'll, I'll let me try and frame it in a nutshell. Uh, I, I, I fell into positive psychology. Um, but what's right with people? It's a question that we often don't ask naturally. Um, what's a good life? What's a, what's happiness? What's well-being? How can we foster these kind of things? All this what's right with people stuff really fascinated me and uh, gave me a, a pretty natural lens. I had a lot of that already with me. And as I studied applied positive psychology, I kept thinking, oh, yeah, that's that's why, that's why I'm pre feeling pretty good. <laughs> you know, this is why... Uh, I'm reasonably happy. Uh, so positive psychology really did something to me. Uh, and in essence, it's a science, right? It's the science of finding out more knowledge of what's a good life and how we can build on resources and strength. Hmm. And then I felt that a lot of my positive psychology colleagues were maybe a bit too positive. <laughs> I, I needed something that would acknowledge how difficult life is and full of anxiety and dilemma and complexity and paradox. And there's a lot of big, big questions that there isn't one answer to. So there's a lot of choices we have to make and every choice excludes other possibilities and, you know, time, temporality, it's kind of always nagging at us, but also it gives our life meaning. So there's uh, all of this existence stuff uh, that comes up as a result of being human in the world with other humans that existentialism as a philosophy has explored and uh, offered a lot of maybe not insights maybe not answers but questions which i think as a coach i much more appreciate than actual answers so um coming in with a positive psychology lens and then exploring existentialism as a foundation where i feel grounded a framework, philosophical framework that is solid enough to ground me and yet flexible enough and open enough to integrate all of this good stuff from positive psychology and all many of these other psychological approaches. I really found my home there. And uh, the integration isn't obvious, but for me, it felt very natural. Um, and I think I'll pause there because otherwise you get me going and I talk for the whole episode about positive <laughs> existentialism. But uh, yeah, that's that's for me it in a nutshell. It really grounded my work and my approach to living, my relationship with myself, with the world, with other people, mm. with time, with the future. You know, that's I found home. And for the layperson, what, what define for me the 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 uh, philosophy of existentialism? What what is that? Yeah, so. It's the philosophy, it's a philosophy of human lived experience. And what that means is existential thinkers and philosophers uh, and psychologists and therapists and coaches, they looked into the question of what does it mean to just be, to be there? What, what does it mean to exist? What are the results and the consequences of being human in a world with other people? Now, what is the human condition? What are the things in life that we cannot change, the existential givens? 
um, you know, not the kind of anxiety where, oh, I'm nervous about something that's going to happen, but it's like there's a base anxiety that's never going to go away just because of the fabric of how human existence is structured, mm-hmm. right? And we can use philosophy to, to get answers or to gain some knowledge about things we cannot really observe, like the experience of being human. So uh, that's what the existential philosophers have looked into. And that's grounded the way that I work and the way that I think and the way that I approach life. As you mentioned in that, in that quote from, I think that's the video on my website now. It's about making choices. And when you build a certain relationships with making choices and with the anxiety and the paradox and the dilemma and the human condition, when you have a, uh, the, the relationship that the existentialists encourage us to have, you meet life with more courage. You meet life with more open eyes. And I feel I own my life a lot more because I started very consciously making choices and bearing the consequences and the anxiety that comes with them rather than what I did before I turned 30, which is just kind of saying yes to opportunities. I knew you were going to be a great guest. I mean, this is the thing. This, <laughs> for me, you know, I, I, I interface with a lot of people in the academic world of, of coaching. And I think that something that you do that's really distinctive is you elevate up that thinking to something that can connect with everyone on their real, as you say, their real lived experience of, of being human in a complex world. So take me back, where, where do we need to start in your story to understand that person you are today? I, I love how you phrased the question. I love how you phrased the question the first time. It comes out very naturally because it did feel like I'm hearing it for the first time. Excellent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good thing with these kind of powerful questions. Where do we need to start? So I remember there was a, a moment that came up as I first kind of learned about your podcast and I first heard that question. And I, I, I thought about whether there's other moments and I think this is the moment that I still want to to describe to you because for once it's very clear in my mind um, and also it really points to something that has shaped my life and the life of many of the clients I work with and the friends that I know. So um, I decided why move further. There's other moments, but this one I think works a treat. So uh, I, I'd like to invite us to go back to my early 20s when I was sitting in Zurich in Switzerland, uh, I was sitting in a very small room on the fifth floor of a, a building in uh, Schmiedewiedikon, uh, so, which is part of, a, of Zurich. Um, I was listening to a Dave Brubeck record, I remember, um, and I realized all of a sudden, uh, I, I remember uh, how the wall looked and I remember the music. Uh, I remember... My neighbor had just knocked on the door, um, a crazy Malaysian guy who lived next to me. <laughs> um, so at that moment, I realized I was there in Zurich at the time to think about what am I going to do with my life? Um, I had moved there to study audio engineering. Um, I did like a six months course to try to figure out whether that could be, you know, the rest of my life. <laughs> from a generation where the message was, well, after school, you pick something that you're going to study and that's going to build the rest of your career. You know, so that was still very entrenched in my head. And as you can imagine, I mentioned choices and anxiety that cost a considerable lot of it. Um, so as many of my friends in my generation, I guess, did uh, after school, 
they went somewhere to try and figure out what the rest of your life is going to be. So uh, I was kind of waiting. Uh, I was not just waiting. I was also actively exploring, for example, audio engineering at the time. Uh, but I was sitting in that sofa listening to the Dave Brubeck record. Um, and all of a sudden, I realized something, right? And that came with a clarity that I, at the time, it felt like such a relief because there was something that was very real that couldn't be denied and that opened up a reasonably open but reasonably clear pathway forward. Um, and the realization was that uh, I, I, had a, I had some clarity on my strengths and my character at the time because I'm quite reflective. Um, I talked to a lot of people. Uh, I just kind of introspective. I, I like exploring who I was at the time already. I, I knew a big thing that I knew is that things get boring quite quickly. And that once I climbed a tree for a little bit and I can see the top, I usually jump trees. And that's not helpful in the context of the attitude of picking the rest of your career that I just described. So, uh, I was, I knew that I needed novelty in whatever I choose. And I knew that I, I had this introspective, reflective nature, um, with me. I knew that I'm, I'm quite introvert, but I also really like talking to people, but more one to one and more deep conversations and long conversations. I like that. So I realized, oh my God, people, people are never going to get boring. And as soon as you spend some time with them, you know, they change all the time. So. You know, even if you think you know someone, chances are a couple of weeks, couple of months, or a couple of years later, they're a completely different person, you know, or at least they have changed significantly. And even if you figure out a whole group of people, um, then you can always work with a different group of people. So in that moment, I realized, ooh, working with people, it's not only never going to get boring because they always change and they're very, very complex, but also it plays into my strength. People are always going to have problems or things to figure out. So this you know, talking practice, understanding people better, I think that's really going to be something, you know? And so I, at that moment, I decided to study psychology and the rest of my career has been built on that moment and that decision. I find these moments fascinating. Um, and you articulate it so well, that clarity of the moment that you can, you can really place yourself on a sofa listening to jazz in Zurich your Malaysian neighbor. And Sachi, what a dude. <laughs> you describe something that's really characteristic, actually. Lots of people have said this. They say, I realized I knew something. So very often the moment, I mean, the moment that I like to hone in on is the moment of knowing, not necessarily the moment of, of deciding or choosing what happens next. You describe I knew these things and you listed off a set of things that you knew. And then you said, in that moment, I decided to study psychology. Were those two things, the knowing and the choosing at the same time, or did the knowing happen first? Hmm. So there was some knowing that happened first in terms of how I am. And the the choosing, I mean, the choosing came with the knowing, right? The making the links between what I already knew and what I've been thinking about at the time in terms of, well, what I'm going to do going forward. So there was a linking of what I knew and what I wanted to do. And the link was made to psychology. 
So at that moment of making the link, which is connecting some knowing, the decision sprung from it. Hmm. And so then other decisions had to be taken in terms of, okay, so uh, where and how I'm going to make that happen. And like, there was a lot of other decisions, but in that moment, it, it made a lot of sense that there was a choice here based on this knowledge. And I think that the reason why I find and I'm finding that the exploration of the unlock moment opens up a lens into your deepest drivers of purpose is because it's the knowing bit. So often when people, when you say to people, when did you start out on this path? They'll go, oh, the, the day I decided to study psychology. The day that they knew why they were going to go and study psychology might have been the same day, but sometimes it's years before, depending on, depending on the person's journey. And it's actually focusing on the, the why bit, but a deeper why, I think, than the ones that often when people say, oh, I've discovered my why, it's still quite a superficial conversation that they're having. The way you describe the things that you knew, they're really fundamental to, to who you are. And, it, and, 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 it's, and it feels to me, there'll be a lot of people in, in their early 20s who don't have that, that deep self-awareness that, that you had at that time. You know that helped you to to make some choices. Was the connection from people won't ever be boring to its psychology? I mean, there are many paths that you could you could have gone down around pursuing an interest in people who are not boring. Why <laughs> was psychology the path you went down and not something else? Yeah, so psychology had been circulating as an option. Uh, so I was specifically in Switzerland at the time to figure out what to do next, because I always considered the possibility of um, working with audio. I, I had a studio at the time. I was kind of into that kind of stuff. But also it was, it was a big hobby. It was, I had a lot of love there and I had some hesitation of, mm, I'm not sure if I want to make this what I love a profession that I then do for money. Because I think sometimes they can really take the love out of it. Um, so I, I considered the possibility at the time that what I was doing there is not the foundation to a future career, but something that I wanted to explore anyway, just to gain some skills and, you know, do something that I love, but have that time to figure out what I want to do after. And it may or may not have been audio engineering. So psychology was around as something to think about. Um, so it wasn't completely novel path that all of a sudden opened up. Uh, there was a lot of stuff floating around. And, um, I'm also, I'm also grateful, um, that I had that kind of awareness about myself because something that you said is something that I run into a lot that people think they know something about themselves, but then they, as you dig and explore a little bit further, as we often do in coaching, it transpires that that is knowledge that came from other people. That is stories that other people have placed into us. It's something that we have just accepted by what, how society wants us to be or how parents want us to be, how advertising wants us to be. So it can be quite tricky to arrive at that kind of self-knowledge. So I, I feel I grew up quite privileged in terms of having been given a lot of time to reflect. You know, I, I didn't have to work two jobs uh, to get myself through university. Uh, I'm really, really grateful to my parents to be able to give me that kind of life where I could reflect and I could explore and I could uh, gain that kind of knowledge 
um, that seemed pretty solid. You know, that seemed to be really me rather than overridden by other people's messages. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's psychology was floating around and that kind of knowledge, it, it seemed quite real and it was challenged and it was challenged by other people. It was challenged by myself. Um, you know, it's easy to ruminate about these kind of things, mm. but also it's actually quite helpful to have some time sitting in a room on your own to think mm. about stuff. Uh, and ultimately we can only really get to know ourselves in relation to other people. Mm. So I've had my a good balance of sitting on my own and sitting with others uh, mm. to really get to know myself to that point that I could make career decisions based on good information and a well-challenged narrative of who I am. And yeah, that happened quite early. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, I wish everybody could have make their career decisions based mm. on a really good exploration of self and strength, essentially. Mm. And only later, key years later, I studied positive psychology and I realized, oh, I had made decisions where my life is going to be going based on an exploration of my strength and my character, my values and my virtues. You know, that's what positive psychologists teach. And for me, that kind of came naturally at the time, which, you know, I'm not sure how that happened, but it happened. Mm. You'd um, already been doing it. It was very yeah. natural to you. Um, unlocked moments by their nature are sudden, unexpected, unpredictable. Um, and one of the most common questions I get asked by people, you know, when, when they hear me speak or whatever on, on, on the topic, they, they come up and they say, how can I have an unlocked moment? And I rather frustratingly go, well, it's unpredictable. It's unexpected. There's not a recipe. There's not a, you know, if you eat the breakfast I eat, you two will be become a millionaire. It's not one of those. Um, for you, do you think you, you have an, an understanding of why then was the moment where, you know, sitting on that sofa listening to Dave Brubeck, that was a moment that that clarity came to you in an unexpected, unpredictable way? sort of, now that you ask me, I mean, there is an initial reaction to what you've said, because I, I'm not, I don't think there is a recipe as such, but there, we can create the conditions that make unlock moments more likely. Mm. And, uh, I was thinking about it with my coaching lens as you started and then looking like thinking about my moment, there's definitely parallels, for example, in intention. Right, an intention to figure something out and an intention to find an answer, but then not as a goal that you pursue every single day. I don't think you can force unlock moments or happiness or, you know, or relationships like that. But setting an intention that this is something that you want to create and then let go and just allow yourself to get immersed in life or whatever is happening at the moment. Mm. Um, that really works, I think. So having gone to Zurich with the intention to figure out what I'm going to do, but then in that moment, I wasn't thinking about it. I think that allows the brain to make certain connections. Hmm. Um, a coaching environment is a wonderful thing for that to happen, but it more often than not, it doesn't happen during a session. It happens in these moments where it's unpredictable, where you're in the car, you're driving somewhere, or you're sitting on your sofa on your own, or you know, you're in a restaurant and all of a sudden something clicks. But the work that happens around it, I think is essential for it, which is a space where you can be honest with yourself, for example, uh, a space where you're relaxed, where you're not forcing yourself to do something, where you, you can just be there in a moment of meditation, 
right? Uh, that Malaysian neighbor, Sachi, at some point, he never forget, he came over and he, I asked him about meditation because I knew he was meditating daily hours. Mm. Um, and he said, Yannick, you're already meditating. Um, because I listen, I see you listening to jazz music, he said. <laughs> and uh, the way that I was listening to music was a form of meditation, which I realized mm. at that point. So this being in a state where you're not committed to go somewhere, you're not specifically thinking and trying and working to your brain to figure something out, but you've done that kind of work. And in those moments, you're relaxed. You allow your brain to do the work without you paying conscious attention to guiding that work. Um, I think that's a really, really important moment. Uh, and uh, I'd love to check that back with you. You talk to mm -hmm. people about their unlock moments all the time. Mm -hmm. My assumption would be that they tend to happen in a state that is more or less relaxed, mm -hmm. where you know, you're not trying hard to get to that unlock moment, but mm -hmm. you just open yourself up and mm -hmm. just you're just being right mm -hmm. and but your brain has done the work and then things start to connect in that moment of uh, i don't know lucid relaxedness or whatever you might call it mm -hmm. absolutely right i think that you know i think of michael Librant who um whose unlock moment was sitting in a traffic jam in the rain looking at the car in front of her and on the on the cover of the wheel on on the back of the jeep it said life is good and she went I should be feeling that, but I don't. That was her unlock moment. Um, uh, Megan Onan uh, came on and she talked about looking out the kitchen window uh, in her house or a friend's house and realizing that she needed to move to a different part of the US to go home so that she could face into some things that were, uh, that were meaningful for her. Carol Kaufman, world-leading coach, who, who talked about, just before she went into meeting, these three words came into her head and she said, if it wasn't for these three words, then you wouldn't know me. And the three words were don't hold back. So the, the characteristic of the, of the unlock moment is exactly that. It's, it's very often this unexpected moment where they happened to be in a space that if you look back, you can see these patterns that, that you describe of relaxedness, of, of explicitly not trying to solve the problem, not trying to work it out, not trying to come to an answer. Um, but that moment is so vivid that 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, they can think back and remember. And you described this really well in, in yours. You know, you can place yourself back on that sofa. You know, I struggle to remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I can remember walking down the corridor in the lab, you know, in medical school when I figured out, I didn't figure out, I just, I just knew I don't have to do this if I don't want to. That was my, that was my unlock moment that led me eventually to leave medicine and, and, and move into a different kind of field. Um, and, and, and that is, that is what I find so fascinating that when, when you talk to people, because they don't think naturally about that bit, we tend to think about the decisions, the choices, the, the actions that we took. Um, you can, you can ask somebody this simple yet incredibly powerful question, you know, the two questions really. One is, uh, where do we need to start in your story to understand the person you are today, which is often going back before the unlock moment, but setting that kind of foundation that turns into this, this clarity. And then the second question is, what's a moment that you remember when you suddenly figured out something that you knew that, that told you about the path ahead? Um, and that's the unlock moment. And those two things, people go, I've never connected 
I've never connected what I do now to that story. But actually, now you ask me those questions, I realize that this was going on much, much earlier than what I naturally think about, which is three years ago, I was offered this job and I took it and it's been great. You know, the why you're doing that goes a long, long way back. Why you're doing positive psychology goes far back before you ever studied positive psychology because you're always naturally a strengths-minded person. You just didn't call it strengths and weren't educated in strengths and weren't expert in, in strengths. But it doesn't matter. You, you're a person who thinks about what's right with people. That's a very natural thing for you. It's the same for me. You know, When I first engaged with strengths, it was probably about 13 years ago, I only became qualified as a strengths coach three years ago. But I've been, I've been fascinated by what's special and unique about people for, for a long, long time. Um, there's something else that, I mean, something I wrote in, in my book, The Idea Mindset, is uh, really links into what you said, which is you can't think to a deadline. So very often I'm working with people and they feel as though I'm going to go away for a week. And by the end of that week, I want to figure it out what career I'm going to do, what job I'm going to do, whether I'm going to quit my job, whatever the big thing is. And they set themselves a deadline to do thinking. And the reason they do that is because we're used to setting deadlines for doing stuff. You know, I will get my list of tasks done by Friday. But as you describe really eloquently, thinking doesn't work like that. You know, sometimes you just need to give your brain the space and time to do the thinking it needs to do. And then the moment of clarity comes when you're walking the dock or doing the washing up or in the shower or whatever it is. And I, I say to people, you know, if you haven't figured it out yet, then maybe it's just not your time. And just give it more time because you can think you've solved it because you went, okay, it's Friday. I've got to figure it out. I've got three options. I want to do option B. Quite likely that three months time you'll go, mm-hmm, option B doesn't quite feel right, actually, because they hadn't let their brain do the, do, do the work it needs to do. Now, hmm. for, for you from a much more expert perspective than me, what, why is it that that's how you unlock some of these really big questions, that, that you just have to sort of take the conscious mind out of it and allow the unconscious to, to tick along and do its thing? Yeah, I think you said something quite key here, which is give, give yourself some more time. But I think a lot of people take that as, oh, I just need to push the deadline back or it needs to take longer. When actually giving yourself time is these moments in between that you can engineer, right? You can, I mean, it's, for me, it's easy to put half an hour, an hour somewhere in my calendar and then call that thinking time. In reality, it usually gets overridden by something. Right? There's something that seems more pressing, that seems more immediate, you know, the house is on fire somewhere or just something is urgent. Um, it's easy to disregard the importance of creating some space in between where you just take a walk, you know, um, commute helps, you know, that's quite helpful. You're in the car and it's raining, you're driving home from work or to work. I've been working from home since the pandemic started, so I'm not traveling that much anymore. Now it's picking up again and I'm traveling here and traveling there for some teaching. I, I really appreciate those times. I used to um, not like commuting just because, you know, it's like, oh, I, like I could use my time more constructively. But actually doing nothing is a very constructive process when you did set those intentions and you let your brain percolate. Let the, let your brain do the work that let the work continue that you have set up. 
I think the time that your brain does work without your conscious attention is very important work, possibly more important than the conscious work. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't know exactly how these things work. I, what I do know from a good friend who's a neuroscientist is that we really know very little about the brain. You know, um, here's a wonderful metaphor about the Yashuk Ansari, a wonderful metaphor about the life of Brian. <laughs> and he points out that we're really only like 30 years old uh, when it comes to our what we know about the brain. Um, and we only just started to really make connections in the last, you know, a couple of decades. Uh, so there's a lot to find out about how the brain works. And it's fascinating stuff. So uh, it does a lot more work on its own than when you force it to do things. I think it's an important bit that we use the combination, that we do the conscious, planned, structured work with, you know, really using our brain and then allow the brain to do its work by creating these times where it can just do its work. That's why I think meditation has boomed in the last decade or two, because more and more high performers realize that the time just being there, which was pre before that considered as doing nothing, you know, that's such important time, not just for the brain to process, but also for the brain to start making connections without you conscious interference, so to speak, you know, that's so, so whether that's meditation or whether that's exercise or whether that's cooking, where you're really mindful, whether it's, you know, um, classic uh, kind of transcendental meditation, uh, whether it's guided meditation, uh, I think generally just to allow your brain to not do what you tell it for the time being and just let it do its work, you know, let it do whatever it wants. It's such important time. And this is where those moments happen. Amazing. Now we're in 2023. We are coming, you know, most of the way out of the the pandemic, but they still see all of the sort of consequent impacts of the pandemic that are running through society and people have got lots of things they're holding on to from the experiences they've been through and kind of, you know, re-emerging into the world. When people are coming to work with you, what are the kinds of things that are commonly coming up for them that you're helping them to, to work on? Mm. Well, there's an, <laughs> there's an, my first instinct was like, that's, that's an impossible thing because, you know, I, I set my career up with a lot of diversity, as you know, based on my story. And that's exactly what comes along. However, there's also an easy answer to that, which is the existential givens. You know, people are asking questions around how can I be authentic? How can I make life choices? That, how can I find a meaningful project? Uh, who am I is at the core of much of what people come. How can I be happy? How can I live a life that's good or better than now? Um, but essentially, it's what every human brings in, which is around meaning or meaninglessness, struggling with absurdity or to create some sort of purpose uh, without there being a clear answer that we could know. Um, there's trying not to be alone, trying to belong, find your tribe, your people, a partner, you know, whether that's romantic or in business. Uh, there's something around you feeling connected. Mm. Um, there's trying to, uh, trying to get rid of uncertainty that, so that you can make, create these moments of clarity on which most of our choices are based, right? When actually 
can't really ever get complete certainty. You can have moments of clarity in those unlock moments, right? There's a, a sense of clarity that is just so powerful and choices come easy. So many people try to create that kind of clarity and that kind of certainty when existentially, philosophically, you can never have any certainty. Even if you feel completely clear, you might not feel like that three days later. Hmm. You know? So um, a lot of people come with that. And uh, there's, something, there's something around time and temporality. There's something around death and endings that uh, often swings in the subtext. And sometimes it's very obvious. Uh, when it's obvious, it's something like, well, I got fired from my job and I need to find a new one. Or, you know, I, I think I want to change careers or I want to get into or out of a relationship getting married, uh, going uh, into, uh, into retirement, starting work, moving to a different country. All of these are very significant endings. When people turn 30 or 50 or 25, 20, 60, you know, name any age, there will be something around, oh my God, time is passing. I don't have that long. What am I doing with my life? Who am I? You know, mm -hmm. so during the pandemic, a lot of this kind of stuff came up quite clearly. But these existential questions are always underneath the surface of what anybody brings into a coaching room. Hmm. So those who seek me out as an existential coach, the, the existential questions will be more obvious. But hmm. whenever I do any work where people don't know me as an existential coach as such, these questions are always there. So hmm. they're big questions and they're usually underneath the, the more, I don't know, they're not smaller questions, but the presenting issues in coaching. Hmm. And, I, and I want people to, to hear you know, what you said so brilliantly, which is you're not alone. You know, lots of people, when they're facing into these big questions, they feel like, or they, they, they will tell me and, and others, you know, everyone else has got it figured out. <laughs> I'm struggling with it. <laughs> and actually what you're saying, and, and you're so right, is everyone's struggling with it, or almost everybody is struggling with this stuff. So live coaching example, you've just crossed a big birthday, happy birthday. Um, how does it feel for you in this moment on that journey? What, what comes up for you just by virtue of the fact that on some kind of, you know, numerical model that we happen to use as, <laughs> as age, you, you've got a zero at the end of, of your age. What, 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 what does that mean for you? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I got that a couple of times this weekend, right? How mm. does it feel now being 40? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Do I really feel different than before? Um, and it's this interesting paradox of like, well, I, I don't, we can't, we cannot not compare ourselves, right? So being 40, there's a certain story around it. There's a, what's it supposed to be like to be 40? Well, how am I supposed to feel like? And we cannot really help comparing ourselves to that story, whatever that story is. So, um, I could tell you how I feel right now, <laughs> but I'm not sure if that's what the question is about. So I usually, you know, sometimes I just say, well, this is how I feel right now. Hmm. What does that mean now? And I guess what people are asking when they say, how does it feel to be 40 is how does it match up with the expectations that you had around feeling 40? Or what does it, how does it add up with the expectations that I have about you being 40? Hmm. Um, and so usually it's not a clear answer, but then you have an interesting conversation. Hmm. <laughs> um, I did think back, I mean, when I think about 40, I don't feel 40 when I listen inside, but then I look at the circumstances of my life and I think, yeah, that checks out. You know, mm. that's, that makes me 40, I guess. Um, the experience, I mean, my inner child is quite alive. 
So um, <laughs> I, I do get back pain more often. And, you know, there's some some things that I feel now that I didn't used to feel 10 years ago. Mm. So I guess I guess I feel 40. <laughs> but mm. then in the end, it doesn't really matter. What, what matters is I feel like me. And I think everybody is struggling to some extent, some more, some less with that comparison of how I'm supposed to be feeling based on what other people expect. Mm. And that can be quite toxic. It can also be quite inspirational. You know, competition drives a lot of things, but really I find it more toxic than inspirational for people to try to live up to a certain way of experiencing themselves because hmm. everybody experiences themselves differently. And yes, there's a bell curve scientifically. If we look at empirical data, you can say, well, that's normal because most people most of the time feel like that when they experience the same number, um, but really it doesn't matter. And if you're not under the bell curve, it might be more difficult to feel a sense of belonging because other people are different. But at the same time, everybody in business wants to be different because that draws attention to you. So I'm really trying to help people embrace uh, their, their funk, their, their difference. The thing that draws attention to them is both. It's a paradox again, right? It's both. People want it and people want to avoid it. We like to belong. We like to be individuals. So I feel how I feel and whether that's how am I supposed to feel, I really try to not engage with that thought because, you know, chances are it's going to cause more pain than, you know, um, satisfaction. So, um, yeah, I feel how I feel and I'm 40. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, we had a conversation a few weeks ago and then obviously you were, you were in your thirties. And now we're having this conversation. You're, you are in your forties and I can't tell you how much, how dramatically more wise you appear, <laughs> you know, just. Really. I don't know anything um, really. No. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> for me, I, I mean, I, it was a while ago that I turned 40. Um, but I think for me, I don't think I, I, I didn't feel any different, but it did. It made me think about decades actually. So, so the, it made me think about, okay, this is a moment where I don't know what the next decade is going to contain, but I, but I feel like when I look back at the end of the next decade that I, I want to feel like I've done something useful with this time, you know, yeah. done something impactful with this time, whatever that is, whoever that's for, I hadn't really decided, but I just didn't want to sort of look back and feel like I'd drifted and missed an opportunity to do something, you know, and I felt that I felt that most strongly, actually, more strongly at 30 than at 40. And very commonly, when I'm working with people a little bit younger, is that that turning 30 is, you know, in, in my 20s, I kind of bounced around different things, I had a lot of fun, had lots of great experiences, but I didn't really find direction. And they sit at 30, and they go, well, I still haven't found direction. But by 40, I kind of feel like I want to doesn't mean that that is my permanent forever. But, but I want to feel like I started to kind of get the wheels on the track and, and go somewhere, you know, with, with, with purpose and, and, and meaning. So I do find it fascinating because to what you were saying earlier about sort of a sudden moment of realization, my, my, my little realization recently around this idea of you figure it out at the right time, I've been uh, writing the kind of book proposal for the book of the unlocked moment. And um, for I, I started writing the proposal, which is not a very long document, probably back in sort of three or four months ago. And I got stuck. And I got stuck because I started to set out what I thought the chapters of the book were going to be. 
And I was thinking about what are the different elements that, that lead to an unlocked moment. And of course, what I was stuck on was you can't predict it. There isn't a recipe. And I was trying to write a recipe. And of course, you get stuck trying to do that. It doesn't exist. And then it was this week and I was sitting doing something completely different, thinking about something completely different. And I just suddenly went, oh, it's not about the recipe. It's about there are different flavors of unlocked moment. There's different circumstances in which people have an unlocked moment, and I should describe those. So there are some people who have an unlocked moment because something completely unexpected has happened to them, like a, being in a car crash or um, having a health diagnosis. There's some people where there's some kind of time trigger, like a birthday comes up, and it just causes them to think, to step back and go, who am I and what am I here to do and what's my purpose? Um, there's people who suddenly go, I just want to be happy and I want to be happy now and I don't want to be permanently building for some future where I might be happy. I want to be happy now. And, and suddenly I was like, oh, I can write this. You know, and, and that idea of figuring it out, I, I wrote down here when you were talking earlier, figure out is a really powerful phrase and, and, and it's the subtitle to my book, The Idea Mindset figure out what you want from work and how to get it. It isn't solve. It's not decide. It's not choose. It's not act on. It's figure out. It's a process of, of growth. And I really like the way you describe turning 40 is no change at all, but it can be. It can be a trigger for a thought or a conversation. That's powerful. Yeah, that, that takes me back to my 30th, right? Because mm. I would have picked that. That came up as well as my unlock... Well, not quite a moment, right? Because I, I did pick the other one because around 30, as you say, nothing happened. But it was a couple of months after, maybe a year after. I'm not sure when. It was gradual. Um, but I had met my, my now wife uh, later um, following that. And there was something around the combination of, of turning 30 and having met someone where you can see a future that you hadn't seen before that really unlocked something. I think this was quite a profound shift. If there would have been a clear moment, I would have definitely brought that because mm -hmm. what that time period had done is I trans transitioned from being a, what I call the dynamic drifter, somebody who doesn't have a five, I've never had a five-year plan, 10-year plan. I've never had any sense of where my future is going to be because I knew positive psychology, coaching, you know, helping people with conversations. It's going to go somewhere. That's going to be something. That's always going to be something. But I had no clue where I was going. I mentioned I just said yes to opportunities. So I kind of had a direction. I kind of had a, not a pathway, it's too much, but a direction. You know, a general, this is going to be something up, down there. But I don't know what's going to happen and how that's going to look like. I, I just felt uh, a, a pull in that direction. But I was still drifting. I wasn't, you know, making conscious choices. I just like something happened. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that then. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'm going to do that. No, that doesn't move me. Thank you very much. No. Um, and then as I had met Nelly, uh, and I had this feeling of around 30, you know, this is the decade and now I'm supposed to be a grown up. <laughs> um, I, Something shifted and I, one is I felt Nelly came with a certain vision of the future. So there was in a way something I could say yes to, but I, I knew I had to say yes to this with everything that I am and that I have, because that's going to really commit me. 
And I wasn't good with commitment at the time because you know I wanted to push away the responsibility of making choices. Um, but this is a very profound choice, and it offered itself up to me, and I had to do some a lot of thinking. Um, and as I was falling in love with this woman, and as I just turned thirty and felt I'm growing up now, I chose and I committed, and that did two things: it added, it opened a sea of anxiety <laughs> because now I could fail. You know, now that I've committed, now that I've made a conscious choice to actually get somewhere, uh, that could not work out, you know, which is scary. And the second thing that happened is it opened up a lot of purpose, a lot of focus, a lot of energy, a lot of meaning, because now I knew where I was going, hmm. you know, so I was, I'm, I wasn't happier before than after. I like I respect anybody. I still have friends who just kind of live into the day and they live on a boat somewhere by the canal. And you know, if they don't have money, they don't spend money. And you know, they just like live like that. And I lived like that. I get it. And I could see myself living like that for the longest time, possibly forever. So uh, I respect when people choose that kind of way of going through life. Uh, I made a different choice around that time of thirty. And that really unlocked a lot, you know, it also locked something, right? Because I think every choice also locks something. Every unlock moment also is closing the door to all of these other pathways that you could be choosing and all of these other lives that you could be living. And I think um, developing an awareness that every door that unlocks, as soon as you go through that, it also closes a bunch of other doors. You can never go back and do that instead. And that's an anxiety that... I, I think it's important that we are aware of. Um, so when somebody has an unlock moment in, in coaching, I think it's important that you dig a little bit deeper. It's easy to get excited about the clarity in that moment and then make choices immediately. Uh, I have that with clients come back from psychedelic experiences quite a lot. All of a sudden, there's this massive clarity, these huge insights, and then they want to change their whole life. And I say, you know, should we think this through a little bit? Not saying that don't take action. This is great enthusiasm. I love it, you know, but also uh, these moments of clarity, they need to last longer than a moment in order to make good choices because it's mm. easy to have a clear moment, um, mm. but it's much harder to have a couple of clear weeks where this really lasts. So I think when we have those moments, let them sit, you know, revisit them the next day. Capture them by all means, write about it, draw something, write poetry, you know, uh, write a song, <laughs> tell somebody about it. This is great. Uh, but revisit them and see if they're, you know, still, if they still have that same sense of clarity, then it's some real clarity. And so, uh, yeah, that just took me back to my 30th, which is amazing that it's been 10 years ago. Wow. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. At the start, we talked about your perspective on a life well lived. If you could give my listeners just one thing to take away and think about over the next week, what would you say? <laughs> well, the, what comes to my mind first is who are you? Right? And this can be a question you already have an answer for if you're listening to this. Um, there's probably a reason you're listening to this. I don't know what that reason is, but if you've listened to a good couple of episodes, you probably are in touch with the idea of who we are now has been based on choices that we've made either in these moments of clarity um, or, or otherwise. But if we think again and a little bit more deeply about, well, who am I and what frameworks are there to think about who I am? Is this strength? 
virtues, values, worldviews, beliefs, spirituality, you know, behavior. Am I my choices? Am I my thoughts? Am I my feelings? You know, there's so many different ways of how you could start to answer the question of who are you. And so if you have a, if you have an answer to who are you, who am I? I'd invite you to think about this a little further and see how did you get to that answer? What else might there be? Whose answer might this be? Is it really yours? Who's influenced or colored this answer? Uh, and just spend a little bit of time there, even though it might get a little scary because we don't want to let go of a sense of who am I once I finally made it. But we're always in the process of becoming. We're always changing. Maybe your answer to who am I is from two years ago or 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, maybe it's someone else's answer. You know, so just an invitation to revisit that. And if you don't have a clue who you are and how to even begin to answer that question, then I'd invite you to think about how you might start that kind of exploration because it's really worthwhile undertaking and to continue undertaking it, not to just find an answer and then hold on to it because we always change. You know, that answer is going to always be evolving. I'm so pleased you came on to tell your story and, and, and help us with this big thinking, Yannick. How can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? Yeah, easiest way is to go to my website, existential.coach. Uh, I have a website for coaches called rocketsupervision.com. And uh, you mentioned my coaching labs. Uh, if you go to gocoachinglab.com, uh, you'll find ways to see coaches in action and, you know, sit in on these, you know, often very personal, privileged positions, uh, conversations. Um, I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, I'm on social media. Um, go find me, Google me. I'm always keen to have a conversation. So, um, thank you for having me on Gary. What you're doing here is amazing. And it's, it's, it's such a nice back and forth. So, uh, thank you for, for inviting me to think about these things a little bit more than I had. Fantastic. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For existential coach and thought leader, Yannick Jacob, it was a moment of clarity sitting on a sofa in Zurich and listening to jazz and knowing that people were never going to be boring that shifted him from engineering to psychology and shaping his career direction to focus on the search for meaning and what makes us all human. Yannick, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Thank you, Gary. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on the unlock moment.